Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. This episode brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. This is At The Turn. It's time for discussion and interviews about the world of golf you won't hear anywhere else. Here are your hosts, Nick Heidelberger and Joe Simons. Happy New Year and welcome into the final edition of At The Turn for 2020. Very special episode we have for you today. We're going to talk distance, Nick. We're taking the ball deep today. I think when you look back at 2020 in golf, the most intriguing story was Bryson DeChambeau. I mean, that was, it it was the biggest thing. It was the biggest year in golf for what he could potentially do to the game over the next five to 10 to 15 years. Who knows? Um, But it really made me start to think like, should Joe Schmoes, like you and I, and presumably the people listening to this podcast, emulate what Bryson is doing? Like, should we just pound the ball as far as possible? I want to ask, a professional opinion on that and if so how do we do it so we brought in our friend andrew elamy the head professional at our favorite golf course the university of idaho golf course also known as windy hills country club to joe and myself um so yeah let's do it andrew thanks for joining us man you said uh, paint paint the picture for folks out there looks like it's what snowing out there you're just you're looking off into the distance you probably have the beautiful water tower view right now out of moscow mm-hmm. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> so, okay. This is something that Nick and I have obviously talked about all year, the uh, quote-unquote Bryson effect. I guess let's start here. When you have people coming to you and they want instruction and they want to get better, really across the spectrum of 30 handicappers to, let's say, you know, around five handicappers, are they cognizant and aware of the distance that they could be gaining and are they trying to optimize that or is this just something that isn't happening at an amateur level well i think uh, nick said it perfectly bryson has been the headline from his you know his driver to his personality to his his workout regimen pretty much everything he does on social media and so with that you know a lot of people have you know been on social media this year cooped up in their house so with bryson kind of taking the role of you know, the leader of this new distance charge. And, you know, the last two places I've worked being in college towns, a lot of young people getting into the game and kind of golf seeing this boom with the pandemic. Um, yeah, I mean, everyone is trying to get the new driver, trying to come in for lessons with the track man. Um, you know, ever since we started utilizing that, you always see people trying to come in and kind of get those ball speed numbers up and uh, utilize all those things that maybe even two, three years ago, 
wasn't as relevant as long as, hey, I want to hit the fairway, have a good time, you know, with my buddies. But now it's about sending it, you know, don't lay up, make an eagle, have fun with your buddies. And that's kind of what I see from my perspective is what's going to grow the game and is what has grown the game the last couple of years is is people wanting to have fun out there. Um, you know, there's a segment of golf fans like maybe us that, you know, want to see guys hit, you know, stinger five irons off the tee and lay up. But from my perspective as a club pro who's checking people in, paying a daily fee, coming in for a golf lesson, trying to get better, I think that the progression that the game's made and Bryson has kind of led is, is huge. And again, it might not be, you know, best for U.S. Open at Wingfoot as far as watching it on your television. Um, but from what I'm seeing in the growth of the game, I mean, he's he's almost had a Tiger-like effect because it's gotten people to think about golf in a different way. And um, I don't want to say he's made it look more inclusive, um, but it, it doesn't seem kind of like the boring old game it, it was in the past. So that's kind of what I see from young people or even people getting back into the game. Um I mean, technology is keeping guys who, you know, would have retired in their mid 40s, you know, out playing the Champions Tour into their 60s. So I think that all across the board from college students to seniors is keeping people, you know, charged up. I'm glad you touched on technology. I think I think inevitably a good portion of this conversation is going to revolve around TrackMan. I know you have access to a TrackMan that you probably teach on hopefully 12 months a year. Um but that has come so far in the last five to ten years. When you get guys in there hitting on the track, man, and I know you do leagues and things in there and, and lessons, um, is it good or bad if people just kind of fixate on a couple of those numbers? Like I can, I can, Im- I can imagine the guys on Frat Row and on <laughs> Nez Pierce Ave at U of I just just trotting down there and just just only trying to smash it farther than their buddy. They don't care about anything else. Are people doing that? And if they are, is that good? Or is is that going to have a negative effect overall? I think it's good. Um, I think it's great. Uh, I mean, obviously, people are going to have to get the ball in the hole at some point and understand that chipping and putting is part of the game. But I just think this new charge, uh, like I said, that Bryson has led, has kind of made people excited about golf the way that you know, they used to get into basketball or baseball. And, and now that you can play it for a lifetime and, um, you know, you see guys getting bigger and stronger. I mean, gosh, back in the day, they used to say if you're over six foot, you couldn't play golf. It wasn't for you. And now, you know, everyone is six, four tall, hitting it, hitting it as far as possible. So, yeah, when I when I teach a lesson, I mean, I put up maybe three or four numbers on the track, man. Um, you know, maybe ball speed, um, check out spin rate, obviously how far the ball is going to go. Uh, and then club speed and then, you know, maybe add one or two more if you need it. But yeah, a lot of times less is more on that track, man, because I mean, unless you're teaching a, you know, a high end pro or division one player, a lot of those numbers are, are relevant. So I think that from what I've seen from the growth of the game and the new golfers that have come in, I think it's been huge. Although, I mean, at first I was kind of not as big of a Bryson fan as, as I am now, just because, you know, I thought he was going about it in an interesting way. But overall, I mean, he worked his tail off, mastered his craft, and I mean, he is having a huge advantage. I mean, if you even think about, you know, the major championships, I listened to your guys' Masters recap, and I think Bryson obviously has a huge advantage of the Masters, but at a course with tall rough and narrow fairways, maybe like a PGA Championship or a winged foot U.S. Open, that's when he's going to have his biggest advantage, whether there's a you know change to the equipment or not, because 
everyone's going to be playing out of the fairway at Augusta National. And angles are important, but, I mean, he doesn't hit his wedges that well. That's not the strength of his game. So you get him out of the rough with a 9-iron or an 8-iron, that's the length of a 6-iron. He's able to hit down on that thing, and he's going to be you know, winning U.S. Opens, I think, a lot more than than um, masters and for the same reason you know ricky fowler has struggled at at majors for the most part he's obviously had his his share of high finishes but i mean that shallow swing coming out of uh long rough it really affects him so i think bryson's actually gonna be more suited for pgas and u.s opens than than the masters you know just kind of looking at bryson and what he represents i look at it as it's this perfect marriage of this technology that has come up and even a more casual golf fan is aware of ball speed and that being such an important metric. Obviously club head speed has been the big thing for a while, but ball speed kind of being a representation of how effectively you're hitting the ball and how powerfully you're hitting the ball. And because you have such a literal personification of a track man and getting the most out of your technology, do you think Bryson has made that technology more accessible to people and vice versa. The trackman has been more accessible because Bryson is that guy. Because even though Bryson does hit it the farthest, we have Dustin Johnson, we have Brooks Kepka, we have Roy McElroy. If those guys went the same route as Bryson, they could be hitting it as far as him. But he's yeah. the one who's taking it to that next level and kind of exaggerating what is possible. So do you think it's just it's like perfect timing of Bryson coming along doing this when trackman is becoming more widely accessible to the average golfer? Yeah, I mean, I think it's perfect timing that, you know, with people cooped up and able to do more research on the game um, and, you know, he's winning everything, it, it sure helped a lot. And, um, yeah, that's a good question. I think that what um, what he's done really well is, um, you know, he even said when at the U.S. Open how Phil helped him with chipping as much as he did. Bryson's always been a really good putter, really good around the greens. And, you know, kind of looking at his stats even a little bit, Nick, I know you kind of previewed it the other day. Um, you know, his scrambling stats don't really reflect, reflect his strokes gained, you know, around the, the greens numbers. And, you know, he's almost made that that stat obsolete because he's always driving it inside of 50 yards. And, you know, whether he's 48 yards out of the rough and shot tracker says it's no good or, you know, other guys are laying up on par fives and they have an easy, you know, fairway chip in. Um, I think he's just made it more um, accessible with, you know, inexpensive um, uh, indoor. I mean, you can get one for 500 bucks now. You know, it's a lot lot more inexpensive. But, yeah, I mean, I have a guy yesterday came in for a golf lesson, um, got a first season pass ever, got his first golf lesson ever. He's now got Love a full it. bag, full 14 clubs of, of new clubs. He's about to get, you know, all the training aids. He's going to get a G box for, for goodness sake. So he's really taking it to that level. The, the I don't even know what that is. Aid. <laughs> the, the George the George Gankus training tool. So, I mean, yeah, I think the knowledge is getting better. Uh, the Golf Channel helps a lot. I mean, it's, you're getting 24-hour knowledge there. They do a good job of explaining the numbers a lot better um, on CBS, NBC, Golf Channel. So, yeah, I think the knowledge part of it is, I mean, from everywhere, from from tennis to, to baseball, everything's kind of, you know, gone up quite a bit there. Just real quick, Andrew, and to your point with beginners, I, I, I've been for, for some reason playing with a lot of beginners the last couple of years and kind of seeing their excitement and get into the game. And I've seen them go about it two different ways. I have a buddy who is super analytical, loves the numbers. That's all he thinks about. He's very technical. And then I have buddies who are just like, I'm just going to grip it and rip it, baby. 
And their results are essentially the same because they're beginners. And I wonder, do you ever worry about amateurs and beginners getting too bogged down in the technicality and the numbers instead of just figuring out how to swing a golf club and doing it from feel? Well, that's kind of one thing I pride myself on when I give people lessons is, you know, a lot of it is feel and swinging hard and having trust and going after it. So, I mean, even the best players on the PGA Tour, a lot of times don't have, you know, a lot of knowledge of their golf swing. It's one or two feels, you know, you'll hear them so often say the harder I swing, the straighter it goes. So even even with a beginner golfer, that's something that, I'll, that I will totally instill or even telling a, a junior golfer who's under 10 years old. I mean, the number one thing they can do is swing as hard as humanly possible, have fun with it. And then obviously we can straighten it out later if they still enjoy the game. But um, yeah, even, you know, the last club I was at, the average member there was 69 years old. So you had a lot of people who were just trying to get the ball in the air so they could still play with their friends. So yeah, having them swing as hard as possible and use all that energy in the right spot, it really kind of makes you realize that, you know, if Bryson's doing that 210 mile an hour swing, and making it as efficient as possible, even these, you know, old ladies, older guys who just want to play with their friends, get the ball in the air. It's the same idea of just trying to get that speed. So it really does kind of make you think of golf in a lot, you know, simpler way. Um, even when I try to play, the best times I've played is I've had one thought, zero thoughts. I was just swinging really hard. So um, I think my favorite thing that I tell people is Phil's favorite line that, you know, the best golfers are either really, really smart or really, really stupid. So, I mean, I, I live by that. And sometimes I think, I, I think our, I think our last two major champions, uh, uh really encapsulate that. <laughs> yeah. And I, I love it. I think, um, sometimes I think I almost got worse at playing once I learned more about the golf swing, to be honest. Um, so maybe that kind of hurt me, but. Um, well, yeah, I think you see, you know, Bryson and Dustin Johnson are two different golfers for sure. I, I'm glad you, you mentioned that because I think the junior golfers are the most impressionable. They're the ones who are going to be watching TV and going in their backyard and swinging as hard as humanly possible. Maybe maybe Joe and I will do that. Maybe not. Um, but those 8, 9, 10, 11-year-olds, those are the ones who are going to be just bashing as hard as they can. And, yeah. and you just said that, and that's what I was going to ask. You think that's the best way for someone to learn is just swing as hard as you can, worry about the rest later? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's um, not only do the stats say that at a professional game, but even for a junior or someone getting back into the game, just for the the fun aspect of it and the, the playing better aspect of it, yeah, swinging hard is huge. Um, I mean, back in the day when you know we had persimmon clubs and the, and the ball and the game was a little bit different, sure, but... Um, with technology and snag golf and all these new ways that you can get juniors into the game, um, they should be swinging away and having a good time, um, especially because golf instruction, you know, is kind of, at least back in the day, is seen as pretty intimidating. You know, it's, golf's a tough game. Um, it's kind of at a sometimes a stuffy environment. So sometimes being with a golf coach can be a little intimidating. So kind of getting kids to open up and realize that, hey, they can let loose just like they're on the the, the football field or they're on the baseball field and kind of have that same mentality that, hey, golf is fun. Let's go at it. Because for the most part, 99% of us, that's what we do when we show up. We just want to have a good time, hit it hard, make some birdies. Not not many of us are stressing out about analytics and stats too much. Is that is that what we should be doing? I mean, should should regular amateur golfers, middle-aged guys with a full-time job just trying to just trying to get in around on the weekends? Should should we be trying to swing as hard as we can too or should we trying to keep it in the keep it between the pipes? 
I mean, if anything, I think it makes more sense for for guys like you and me who are, you know, just trying to to make as many birdies as possible um, and shoot, you know, in the in the seventies is um, just to swing hard and get as much distance as possible. So the reason why a PGA Tour pro wouldn't do it is because what rough uh, greens are firm and fast. They're at thirteens or fourteens. You go out to your local golf course. I mean, is rough really that much of an issue? You're able to, you know, hit it as as you pretty much as far as you want, and rough's not going to hold you up. I mean, um, you know, sometimes you'll get in the fescue here or there, but yeah, I mean, you, if anything, you come to the U of I golf course, for example, you both know that well. Sure, you don't want to be behind trees and in the water, so you got to look out for things like that. Obviously, it's golf, but for the most part, there's less rough here and less angles here that challenge you. So yeah. I think if anything, amateurs should be doubling down on hitting as far as possible. Yeah, I mean, that's really a good point, Andrew. And it's it's interesting because when I play golf courses where that are open, like U of I, or even Palouse Ridge, just across the border to an extent, you can kind of blast it anywhere. And I find that I hit more fairways when I play courses like that that I do tight courses because I swing so much freer off the tee and I have less of a worry. When courses are tight with OB, I try to really like carve a four iron out there. And inevitably, I'll snap hook it into the trees as opposed to U of I when I'm just swinging for the fences and I hit yeah. a lot of fairways out there. Yeah, another good example, you said it perfectly. Another good example is when I worked at Chambers Bay. I was there uh, the year of the US Open and I would go out and caddy on my off days to make a few extra bucks. and. You would not imagine the people, 15 handicaps, five handicaps that would shoot their personal best round at a U.S. Open course. And it's because they could hit it far. They were getting, uh, you know, long drives. They had a caddy there helping them with the difficult reads. And it was, oh, my God, I just shot. I've never shot an 85, and I just did it at Chambers Bay. So that's a perfect way to put it. If we go play, you know, Sahali, you know, everyone's going to have a tough time. You know, yeah. luck. I, I haven't been fortunate enough to play it. But, yeah, even at a place like Chambers Bay, a lot of guys would have their personal best round for that same reason. So, um, yeah, I think it's great to see people have more fun. Um, you know, the bifurcation thing is a whole different discussion. But I think what makes golf great is that we're all playing, you know, under the same, same rules, same equipment. And um, from my club professional view, I think bifurcation – um, would be really tough on the game. I mean, from a men's league perspective to a, a accessibility. Um, I mean, the last thing we want to do is make make it tougher for people to know what the heck is going on. So um, I think the USJ hasn't helped with that. But Let, uh, let's. I mean, can, let's can put, you imagine? Can you imagine going to the golf shop and having a pro golf ball, an amateur golf ball? And you know, everyone's going to want to want to play the pro golf ball, and we're going to have two different handicap systems. I mean. I mean, it said it before. The toothpaste is, is way too far out. <laughs> um, I'm gonna we. I want to come back to the bifurcation maybe at the very end of this because that's definitely that's definitely a part of this. But to go back to what you were talking about just before, you gave you gave me the green light to just swing as hard as I possibly can for all of 2021. Yeah. So my next question is is where do I start? How do I how do I go about that? Do I um, do I work on my body? Do I work on my game? Do I work? How do I work on my speed? What What are the first things I need to do to to just pound it in 2021? Yeah, I mean, um, obviously, working out fitness is is a huge thing. Um, there's so many ways you can go about that. You guys um, have both seen how. I mean, every sport people are more knowledgeable in nutrition and you know how to work out and you know what parts of the body to work out in golf. You know, lower back, core. Um, you know, flexibility, all, all those things are key. 
Um, but as far as, you know, hitting the ball as far as possible, um, you know, a lot of it is, you know, how you're, you're launching it, your launch angle and kind of where your, where your speed is. What I see from a lot of golfers that is, you know, they swing really hard, um, you know, but they're not swinging that, that speed in the right position. So, you know, a lot of times they're falling backwards and, you know, that 110 mile an hour swing is happening a foot away from the golf ball. So a lot of it is just becoming more efficient. Um, and we, you know, you talk, they talk about on TV, all the different golf swings and, um, all that really matters is impact. So, um, just kind of feeling, uh, doing as many impact drills as possible. Um, just kind of feeling that forward momentum all the time is huge, but, um, that's kind of what, you know, swinging hard comes from. And that's when guys say, you know, when I'm more, most nervous or there's a shot I, I don't like the most, I usually swing the hardest. Um, so 17 at U of I, for example, um, you got OB right lovely, in lovely hole. horrible left. So, you know, that's a perfect example of someone picking a conservative line because, you know, they don't want to you know, go in the water OB and they also put a conservative swing on it. So, and then that's kind of when you'll see balls go, you know, sideways. So Guilty. that's where swinging hard, <laughs> being aggressive is huge. So I'll tell people when you're most nervous, that's when you should put your hardest swing on it. Uh, and, and just have some trust there, which, you know, it's easier said than done, but that's kind of where, you know, swinging hard comes from is just trusting it and, and doing it, you know, when you're most nervous. Can I call just a quick timeout here? Yeah. Um, I did almost die on that hole one time and it was oh during God. the, it was during the 2018, uh, corner club open and we're watching the women's U S open okay. and was it Christy Kerr who got in that golf cart accident and, and yeah. barely yeah. made it. And Ashley was asking me, she's like, how do you get in a golf cart accident? Like, have you ever done that? And I'm like, well, one time I was bombing down the hill between 17 and 16. I don't know why I would be driving down that hill in the first place, but that's besides the point. Yeah. I don't and uh, <laughs> golf cart completely spun out. Okay. And I thought for sure it was going to tip. And I'm like holding on for dear life. And somehow I made it down the rest of that hill <laughs> without tipping, like sideways, backwards, spinning at 360. And... Um, I, I survived, but wait, bring up that, that, happened, yeah. that happened in 2018. Yeah. And then I, then I get back to the top of the hill and Joe's like, ah, I just scold one over the green. Now you got to head out of this bunker. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> that we, shot costs uh, 150 bucks, but that's, but that's totally beside the point. Yeah. I, I mean, wow. Sorry. That's just great insight into what happened. That hole cost us like $1,500. Like oh we finished God. the shot out of the money. Cause we made a double on that hole. And oh. I had no idea that happened as a part of it. We had ourselves in the Calcutta, which is, yeah. Anyways. Yeah. yeah. Um, that is one of our favorite events. <laughs> yeah. We're going to, it, it'll be back next year. Hell yeah. Sure. So Andrew, to kind of take it back to bifurcation technology, things advancing too much is sort of that general conversation. This isn't new. The best players in the world of any, every generation have always been the longest hitters. Your idea of hitting it as far as possible that's something Jack Nicholas wrote in books in the 60s. Like this isn't this isn't new. So why do you think rolling back the golf ball is a conversation that we are beginning to have in the golf world? Is this just the latest evolution of people being afraid of the next thing? Like I'm sure Tom Morris thought Bobby Jones hit it too far and then Bobby Jones thought Nicholas hit it too far, et cetera, et cetera. This is just what happens, isn't it? Yeah, and I, you know, I'm like I said, I'm I, I would hate to see the golf ball be rolled back. Or to me, I kind of see it's the the enemy of progression. You know, would be rolling the golf ball back. I mean, I'm still not over the the putter ban, which is not what we're talking about. But um, yeah, I, I think that 
it's been huge for the game to have more forgiving equipment and the ball going further. And I think it has to be what makes golf great is that we're all playing the same game on the same rules. Um, and, and that's what makes it special, whether it's, you know, men's league or the masters is that, you know, if I hit that ball there and it went in the hole, it's the same game. And I did the same thing as Tiger Woods did. So as far as bifurcation is concerned, I think that would just kind of hurt the golf of a lifetime, you know, game. It, it would make it the same as a baseball or a, or a tennis where you're not playing the same game as the pros. So I, I would, I would hate to see that, but um, I mean, I think if there's any bifurcation that needs to happen, I think it's probably in course architecture and it's, you know, we're talking about 30, 40 courses a year and the courses that need to, you know, do something like that. If they need to move a tee box back, um, I don't think it, it's necessarily bad for the game because at my level, people are, are just trying to, you know, make a par, make a bogey, trying to get the ball on the green. So I, I don't want to see bifurcation just because I think what makes the, the game truly great is we're all playing the same game. What about, and I know we're getting back into our uh, our distance, our, our our rollback debate, which we did a podcast on this earlier in the year, um, but what about a standard ball? So rather than, you know, have, and I know because of all of the manufacturers and all the money they have, this never would happen. But what's your opinion on just one golf ball? This is a golf ball. It's the same golf ball that everybody plays. I wouldn't have any problem with it. I mean, I think it's the same idea as going out and saying, hey, we're all playing the same golf course today, or hey, we're all same, playing the same game right now. Um, I, would, I would have no problem with that. Um, I mean, I think there's creative ways, whether it's, um, you know, shortening tee heights or, um, you know, reducing clubs in the bag for professionals. You know, I would be okay with that sort of bifurcation. Um, but I think in the rules, a, a rules bifurcation w- would be okay. But I don't want to see it with equipment or with the golf ball. Um, I, I just love seeing, again, from my level, people love that they're playing the same game as Tiger Woods and Bryson. Um, you know, I'm not, I, I don't feel that way when I'm watching football or basketball. I feel, you know, I think that's what makes golf so unique. So, um, yeah, I think there's creative ways to, to make it a little more difficult on the pros. My number one reason, my number one way for that, I think, is just, you know, making the courses more difficult from a um, either an architecture standpoint or a rough standpoint or a green speed standpoint. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the 10, 20 courses that need to buy property and pay that money, you know, they're doing it to host major championships and they're some of the most you know, wealthy clubs in the country. So when we talk about, oh my goodness, like they have to buy real estate, this is a disaster. Sustainability is an issue. That is maybe 10 to 20 courses a year and they're doing it to host big tournaments and they're doing it because they have the money to do it. You don't see everyday courses, you know, buying property and moving back tee boxes. So yeah, I mean, I think a standard ball, uh, maybe a tee height restriction, even a, a couple clubs less in some ways. But I, I think us having the same equipment as the pros is what makes it great. I love kind of those out-of-the-box ideas that you threw out there. Uh, lowering the tee, ripping a few clubs out of the bag. Do you have any other uh, sort of out-there ideas like that, Andrew, of how we can do something with not changing the ball specifically? Yeah, um, I mean, those are those are my favorite ones. And in, for the you know golf enthusiasts like us who are watching the PGA Tour every week and we know all the players and we know what's going on, I don't think that that would really hurt, you know, I don't think bifurcation would really affect our viewership, but it would hurt a lot of other people because it would just kind of, 
muddy the waters as far as, you know, making golf simpler and understanding the rules and understanding what's going on. And, um, I know I love that a 300 yard drive is a 300 yard drive. You know, I don't want to think about, Oh my gosh, tiger hit 300. Mine would have went 273. That's really, really cool. Uh, I just don't, I, I just don't find that as, as entertaining. Um, I love that we all play the same game. We all play the same golf balls. Um, but no, I mean, I think, um, Maybe, low, um, you know, talking about lowering uh, or reducing the size of the driver head. That's been talked a lot about, too. Um, I mean, it's 460 right now. If you make it 400, 420, I mean, that reduces the sweet spot a lot. Maybe guys don't hit driver as much. Hey, if you, if you of... make it 420, you might as well expand your audience. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're funny. Um, but, yeah, I think I think that would be a way to, you know, at least not make it. Uh, not as cool. I mean, right now golf is cool. And I think, you know, any, any, anything to roll it back is going to hurt that. So, I mean, golf is growing golf's in a good spot. The pro game's in a good spot. we got all these young guys going up against tiger and Phil, um, all these new ways to do it. I think professional golf is in a great spot. Um, and I think there's some ways to still appeal to the traditionalists who want to, you know, see some of the, you know, the old ways the game was played. Um, but I really don't think that it needs to happen on a worldwide level where everyone needs to be rolled back because ultimately all that's going to happen is, um, you know, these senior golfers out here that are just dying to break 90 or a hundred, we're going to have to make new tee boxes for them in front of the ladies tees. So they could do that. Um, you know, if the entire golf ball is rolled back. So, um, I think bifurcation is the worst thing that can happen for just my personal standpoint. Um, it's all got to be the same, whether it's the same golf ball or if unfortunately everything gets rolled back, everything gets rolled back. But I think the sustainability argument is really silly to me. That's the one that doesn't, doesn't make sense. Um, you know, they talked about winged foot have to pay seven figures, um, to, you know, buy property and get a new tee box. And I mean, they had to do that because they hosted the U S open. There's not many courses that are doing that. So, I mean, if, if they have to do that to host the U S open, I don't think that's necessarily indictment on the whole game. Yeah. So one of the things Joe and I were, were talking about before you got on, I got uh, Ashley got me a gift certificate for an indoor golf facility for Christmas where mm-hmm. it's, it's all on track, man. And so that's awesome. I'm going to go now. I'm going to go then just just bring one club and just smash this out of the can after getting off of this podcast. I can't wait to hit driver. But um, what what's the best way to go about something like that? Should I just show up, play Pebble Beach on the track, man? Or I know they have all sorts of like range features. Should I should I learn what's going on in my swing? Should I try to optimize some numbers? And and how would I go about doing any of that? I, I've never had like a session on TrackMan where it's just me and a TrackMan for forty five minutes to an hour. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely start off on on you know the range session. Um, if, if it's a track mine, if it's the TrackMan, uh, they have a great combine feature um, where it'll kind of tell you your tendencies. You hit all your different clubs. Um, but yeah, I think you should definitely start off on the range, kind of at least understand how your, your ball speed numbers and your spin rate kind of affect each other. So for example, um, you know, if you have your seven iron, um, and your spin rate on that seven iron is 5,000 RPMs, that probably means you hit it really low and it's going to come off, you know, like a thin shot. It's going to hit, you know, 140 and finish at 165, you know, not as desirable as we want. So kind of one thing I would look for, Nick, when you're going into the, the track, man, is uh, spin rate. So, um, for example, seven iron, 
we want to see a spin rate between seven or eight thousand. For six iron, it's going to be between six and seven thousand. So that's something that you can look for that will also tell you if your clubs are right. Um, because if you're puring your seven iron all day and it's going the distance that you usually expect it, well, let's say you've got a spin rate of four thousand, probably means that that shaft or something in that in your swing is is kind of putting that ball on a lower trajectory. Um, which is just going to hit the green and skid over. So that's one thing that a lot of, you know, amateur golfers might not think about because, you know, the sexy thing is club speed and ball speed, but definitely kind of be cognizant of spin rate. Um, How do I find what, what an ideal spin rate is for each club in my bag? Like, is there, can I go online and like download a chart before I go? So Yeah. So kind of the the way to think of it is for each iron in your hand, you want to be within about a thousand RPMs within that six iron. So um, kind of working up, I'll explain it as quick as possible. So with a driver, an optimal spin rate is somewhere between, you know, call it 1,700 RPMs and 3,000 RPMs. So if, you, if you're hitting your driver really well and your RPMs are right there, then you're going to be in a really good spot. You've probably been fitted for your club. Everything's optimized and efficient there. If you're consistently um, higher than that, so, for example, if you're hitting your driver at about 4,000, that's where your forward should be or your four hybrid or your four iron. So, yeah, it just kind of works up like that. So, for each iron, you kind of want to be around that for RPMs, and it'll kind of give you a good idea of if your clubs are right and, um, you know, how efficient you are with those, if that makes so, sense. So, six iron should be 6,000, seven iron should be 7,000, roughly? And roughly, yep. And, if it's, okay. and if, it's, if it's more than that, you know, 1,000 either way probably means something in your swing is causing it or maybe the clubs aren't right for you. Okay. Uh, yeah, but, but it's, it's definitely easy to get, you know, focused on the, the club speed and the ball speed. But, um, yeah, the, the, I think the hidden gem is kind of dialing in your spin rates with your clubs. Awesome. And, Andrew, I always have this fear that I'm going to do things in my garage over the winter that is just going to damage my golf game beyond repair. I typically – I don't have a track bin. I don't have really kind of any setup at home. Fortunately, I live in a climate where I can go to the range kind of whenever I want. But I tend to just hang the clubs up for a few months over the winter because I'm afraid of doing damage. I'm afraid that I'm going to learn these bad habits, that I'm hitting off of mats, that the balls are range balls, that I'm ingraining bad things. How do I not do this? Is it just my neurotic personality or is this a real thing? I, it's, it's, a, it's a real thing if you're working on the, working or thinking about the wrong things so i mean if you're in your if you're in your if you're in your living room thinking about um you know your your footwork and or sorry that's a bad example footwork is what you should be working on so things you you should be working on um balance takeaway um things you can control without even a golf club so um a lot of golfers i find um and you guys have probably heard this before um they're on their heels you know they're sitting back a lot so, you know, definitely, you know, make sure your balance is in a good spot. That doesn't take even a golf club or a golf ball. Always want to make sure you're, you're on your toes. Um, as you're setting up to the ball, you want to be on your toes. And at, throughout the whole swing, that's kind of where you want your pressure. Um, and that's kind of where you'll also swing most efficiently, too, is if your balance is right. And then the takeaway. So um, takeaway and balance are the two main things that I, I focus on and teach. And the nice thing is uh, you don't even need a golf ball to do them. So um, well, let me... Let me just yeah, jump in yeah. real quick, Andrew, yeah. because takeaway is probably my biggest issue in the golf swing. I have a tendency to roll my wrists open right away, and I, I basically fight that throughout the course of the season. So if that's something I want to fix in my living room over the winter months, what do you recommend? 
Yeah. So my favorite drill, and I, I almost do this in every introductory lesson, is um, it's a simple takeaway drill, and you know, different teachers do it in different ways. Um, but I call it the two ball drill, where I'll set up my club head, um, and then I'll set up two golf balls directly um, behind each other. You know, call it five six inches apart. And what I really want to do, Joe, is push that second golf ball back directly behind me um, without moving that club face at all. Almost kind of making it feel, um, for someone like you that breaks their wrists a lot, it's going to feel like it's a, a one-piece takeaway. Um, so even when you watch guys on TV, uh, the Xander Shoffleys, Fowler, Ricky, all they're doing is working on keeping that takeaway nice and steady for that first six to eight inches of the, of the backswing. Um, because if that first you know foot of the backs of the backswing or the takeaway, you're moving those wrists, then you're pretty much compensating the entire swing. So get two golf balls and just feel like you're pushing that second one directly behind you. It's going to help with tempo. It's going to help with club path, and it's also going to help with just um, kind of keeping everything quiet as you start out. Because if you break those wrists to start, you're in trouble uh, going forward. So yeah, just simple two ball drill. You just push it back, and then when you're on the golf course, it's as simple as you know, picturing a blade of grass, a twig, and just putting that club club face right over it. That's beautiful. See, this is what inevitably happens when we have Andrew or Smoot on the pod. You know, we go through the niceties for about 40 minutes, and then I get into, okay, fix my golf game, please. So thank <laughs> yeah. you, Andrew. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's it, sometimes it's the most I mean simple things where you get two golf balls and just try to have you know, the takeaway nice and simple. Um, That's perfect. I'm, yeah. I'm definitely going to get in the living room and try that one because it seems very simple. I can do it and it, it addresses the exact thing that's going on. And I'm sure a lot of people deal with that. And you make a really good point that, you know, it's such a thing that I deal with and I assume everyone else who has this issue. I know when my wrists break and my only thought in the golf swing is I better catch up as fast as I can to close this club face or we are in trouble. That's the only yeah. thing I think. <laughs> Yeah, no, and th and that's and that's why I mentioned you know, watching it on TV. When you see those guys on the tee box, uh, even mindlessly talking, and they're just doing you know swing routines or trying to get some feel for the next shot, it's always the takeaway that they're working on that first initial part. No one's really kind of feeling the top of their swing, or rarely, um, or different parts like that. It's all about the takeaway because if if that's off, like you said, you always know you're going to have to play catch up on the downswing. So um, yeah, I mean, I'll like I said, some of my best rounds are when I've had a simple swing thought like, hey, push that golf ball back or, dude, swing really hard. I mean, it can sometimes be that simple when, you, when you're on a good path. So, um, yeah, that's my favorite drill for takeaway, and that's how I start every lesson. Um, I mean, outside of gripping the golf club, it pretty, good, pretty much goes takeaway number one and then balance number two. Love it. Well I'm all set, Nick. I, I don't know what you have. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's all. I gotta go book my uh, my TrackMan time and, and go work on all my my numbers and and just smash the ball and see, see how hard I can smash the ball. I mean, yeah, you'll have to, <laughs> I'm yeah, kind of jacked yeah, up right now. Send me some videos. Send me some numbers. We'll we'll get you dialed in. I'll be sending you some numbers for sure. I love it. <laughs> well, now that everyone knows how you're supposed to hit the golf ball correctly, you know, Nick, it's it's also very important to know your yardage into the green. You know, we know our spin rate, we know what we have to do, but do we know our yardages? And the answer is yes, because we have the most dialed in yardages with our Precision Pro rangefinders. Use promo code TURN10 at checkout, either a present for yourself. Did you, did you not get what you wanted this Christmas? Well, <laughs> you're in luck. PrecisionPro.com has what you need. TURN10 at checkout, save all kinds of money on your rangefinders. Andrew, 
we can't thank you enough for being with us on At The Turn today. All the instructions you've heard, that's from Andrew Elamy, head PGA professional at the University of Idaho Golf Club. Really, my favorite if course you haven't, If you haven't played Earth. it yet, go go take a buddy's trip to Moscow, a Palouse Ridge, U of I, buddy's trip. Go play it. I mean, it's it's one of the real hidden gems in the Northwest. I mean, are the, the course is in the best shape it's ever been. And in reference to your um, following right down the, the hill on 17 story, Nick, we just got a new golf cart, so that's not going to happen again. <laughs> You're going to be in good shape there. So I, I can't well, wait to see you guys out here this summer. Oh. When it happens, the, the pro shop will get an alert like, hey, cart 17 is, uh, is breaking the rules out there. You better come shut down their cart. <laughs> yeah, we're turning the corner here, man. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm already squirreling my money away for the Calcutta in the summer of 21. Well, well thanks you. again for having me, guys. I'm Lacey Evans. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time at The Turn.